You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to start. I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah 48. If you're really skilled at handling your Bible, you can find Isaiah 48 and Psalm 115 because I'm going to read there second. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. You can listen to me and even look up on the screen behind me. There it is right there. Okay. Isaiah 48, we'll start there. Verse 9. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I, I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And then Psalm 115, I'll read the first three verses there. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Good evening. Good to see you. Welcome to Mercy View. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, we are honored that you have chosen to be with us tonight. If you're joining us online, we are so glad that you have joined us there as well. Um, how's everybody doing? Good? All right. It's a beautiful day, huh? Hope you enjoyed some of the weather, and, and this is a great month in, the, in, the, uh, in Tulsa, right? April, May, just beautiful weather. Well, I want to just add one quick announcement to John's uh, announcements. We, a few weeks ago, really had one of the most momentous uh, times in our our short history as a church in presenting to you uh, two elder candidates for you to consider. And uh, if you were here that night, you know that what we said to you is these are two men who completed uh, a year's worth of testing and training in our men's leadership development cohort last year, completed that faithfully, and uh, then they were invited into a smaller context with Pastor John Mastin and I to continue to talk about the work of eldering, and really in a lot of ways it's a continued form of testing and um, that's happening right now. It's going to continue to happen through the duration of this period. But we presented John Floyd and Ryan Hoyt to you and said, these are the men that we feel uh, are qualified to be your next elders, but we want to because we are desiring to have open and accessible pathways as leaders to you as partners and because we do believe what you heard uh, John say just a while ago, we want you to be partner engaged Uh, here at Mercy View, we want you to speak into this process. So we presented John and Ryan to you and said, if you have concerns or questions about them, about the process, we want to be available to you. And so we just want to reiterate that tonight. If if, uh, you have anything that you would like to talk to John or I about, John Mastin or I about, we would love to 
uh, chat with you. We're going to have to figure out something. we got two Johns. I'm going to probably have to do the coach thing and call you Floyd and Maston. That's just what we're going to have to do. Um, but what we're going to do is over the next three months, let you um, just consider whether or not these are the men that you believe should be the next elders at Mercy View as well. We want to do this in concert with you, the current uh, elders and, and you as the body. And uh, hopefully through this process, the Lord's will will discern that. And if there aren't any concerns, the plan is to install John Floyd and Ryan Hoyt on Sunday, July the 11th. So that's a little bit down the road. We've got some time here between now and then for, for you to hang out with us and ask questions if you have any, any of questions or concerns. But also we're going to provide some opportunities for some of you to get to know John and Ryan a little bit better um, if you're newer to Mercy View. Okay. Well, um, if you don't know, I've shared this with some of you, but last uh, fall, uh, I had the great privilege of doing something I thought I'd really never do. And, and uh, my uh, fourth oldest, our son Everett, decided to try out for a football team here in town. And I remember going out there with him the first day, and I was just kind of curious about the coaching staff and kind of the, the lay of the land. So I walked out with him to, the, uh, to where the, the players were. And uh, just to make a, a, a long story short, they invited me ultimately to be a part of the coaching staff and had a blast hanging out with the, the kids. These were junior high boys, 13 and 14 year olds and everything that that means um, for, for uh, football and, and young boys. But um, it was a, a great privilege and a, a blast. And one of the things I remember thinking as I started that process um, I was like, okay, I'm a coach. I've got to kind of start to think through what it means to coach. Never really done that. And so I began to observe and learn as much as I can from the other men who had been coaching before. And one of the questions that I had in my mind was, um, what are the new things that I've somehow missed since I stopped playing football like 25 years ago? What are the new things? And there were some new things. I mean, in particular, the offensive scheme for this uh, team was something that we would have never dreamed of running in, in high school when I was in, back in the dark ages. But, um, you know, uh, if you know football, kind of like the West Coast, you know, thing where the quarterback's always in shotgun and a bunch of wide receivers, like, this is junior high, and that was their offense they were running, and that was new to me. I had to really learn that and wrap my head around that. But here's probably the most interesting thing about what I learned. Not a lot has changed since 25 years ago. The fundamentals are still the fundamentals. In fact, we about mid-season realized that we needed to stop doing some of what we were doing with the kids and go back to teaching them some of the basic things. They were asking us questions um, that were like super fundamental and we realized we had skipped some of these things that these young men needed to know to just do the, the work of football. So what I actually learned was there's some new stuff but a lot of the stuff is old stuff. It, there was this ongoing tension just to try to wrestle with and balance those two things uh, as a coach. Uh, tonight, we are beginning a new series for the next few weeks, as you can see on our screen called Next, The Future of Mercy View. And I, I hope you're excited about talking about this. Part of the reason we're doing this is this is our 10th anniversary year as a church. The Lord has shown us great favor. We have made it to this point, even last year, kind of surviving a coronavirus year. Uh, we have um, seen the Lord just, just prove faithful 
over and over to us. And we're excited to not only think about just celebrating 10 years, but what is the next 10 years look like for us? And here's the thing. Some of what we're going to talk about in this series is new stuff. But it's not all new stuff. The reality is a lot of what we need to talk about in this series is some of the stuff that we've been talking about for the last 10 years. But we need to revisit it and remember it so that we can be re-energized for the next 10 years with some of the stuff that you and I know is just true. And tonight is no exception. In fact, what tonight I want to do is start about as lofty as we possibly can as we think about what's most important for the next decade here at Mercy View. In fact, a lot of what you're going to hear tonight hasn't changed for the church in general, Big C Church, for 2,000 years, or as long as the church has been around. And I recognize that, like, what God, I think, really wants to do among us is stuff that probably we already know. We just aren't doing it well Or we need to be reminded of it so that we can engage in the mission that God has for the church and has always had for the church for us in the next decade. And I'm excited about this series. Tonight as we start, I I do want to start pretty lofty. I want to start with a very big idea that is undergirds what we've been trying to do for the past 10 years, but it absolutely has to undergird what we are doing for the next 10 years. Years And here's the big idea. This is what I want you to to grab as we talk tonight. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Now, for some of you that are here tonight, that sounds familiar to you because you have read John Piper. (laughs) And the reality is, is this is essentially... The, what the ministry of John Piper and the ministry of Bethlehem Baptist for many, many years has looked like. I had an experience in reading a book of his early in my uh, sort of gospel awakening, uh, in, you know, maybe about 10 years ago, and it just revolutionized the way that I think about God and the way that I think about myself. And it marked, in a lot of ways, I would, I would actually call it a seed that was planted for the future as I, I had no idea about Mercy View at that point, but a seed that was planted that would be a part of and inform a lot of what we do here. But I don't know if we've ever said it this way. And so tonight I want to really talk about um, this idea of God being most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him as really what needs to undergird us, the bedrock, the foundation for us in the next decade as we think about what's next for us as a church. Now, you don't have to turn there, but we need to begin here this evening. Uh, If we are looking at the future of Mercy View, we have to look at what is at the center of all that we do here. Now, we use language here at Mercy View. You've heard us say we want to be gospel-centered. In fact, in our mission statement, um, that's that's in there. We we say we want to be a family of gospel-centered missional disciples or a gospel-centered family of missional disciples. And that phrase, gospel centrality, is something that we have heard from you in covenant renewals and in conversation that you are um, very thankful, you are glad to be at a place that cares about that, is desiring to pursue gospel centrality. What are we talking about, though, when we say we want to be a gospel-centered church? That's what I want to talk about tonight. 
In a lot of ways, we need to begin at the very beginning of the Scriptures, Genesis 1-1. This is where we need to start. Just the first four words. In the beginning, God. Now, when we say in the beginning, we, of course, are not saying that God himself had a beginning, right? We are merely using human language to describe that God has always been. He is the uncreated one. He is eternal. He is immortal. He is timeless. And as we talk about the future of Mercy View in this series, we have to start here. We, we need to talk out loud about what should be obvious, but many times isn't. The future of Mercy View, Mercy View is utterly dependent on this reality. It begins and it ends here. In the beginning, God. So what does that mean? The, the simplest way that I can say it is this. God is the center of reality. God should be the center of our reality as individuals and as a church. When I think about what's been burning in my own soul since I felt the call to plant a church, really above and beyond any desire is this. It's that mercy view would make God the center of its reality. So how do we do that? Well, we do that by unapologetically claiming that God at Mercy View is preeminent. He is matchless. You just heard it read. We, we want our anthem here at Mercy View to be not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. We can never be reminded too often that we are not the center of reality. It's in the beginning, God. A Christian begins with a radically different starting point than the world. Namely, that God is the given actuality in our universe. And so, as we think about the future of Mercy View, our mindset must start with the assumption that God is the center of our reality. All thinking starts with that assumption. And with that assumption, here's what follows. It should follow that God has fundamental intentions and aims as the creator of all things, right? Now, what does it mean for God to have essential objectives as the creator of all things? Well, it means he's God, he's creator. He does all that he pleases, and what pleases him matters to us. Now, you just heard read Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. I just want to Read that again because in a lot of ways, I think Isaiah 48, 9 through 11 sums up what is at the very heart of God's objective in the world. Let me just read that again. Here's what it says. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake, then he says it again, for my own sake I do it. How should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Just look at the things that God is saying here. For my name's sake, for the sake of my praise. He says twice, for my own sake. He says, 
How should my name be profaned? And then lastly, my glory I will not give to another. What this text, Isaiah 48, is really hammering home for us is the centrality, listen, the centrality of God in his own affections. The most passionate heart for the glorification of God is God himself. God's ultimate goal is to uphold and to display the glory of his name. It's everywhere in the Bible. So I just want to say this really plainly tonight. Again, we're talking about gospel centrality in in maybe a, a slightly different way than we have before. But another way to talk about gospel centrality is to say what what God himself is saying here in Isaiah. God is supreme in his own affections. There are no rivals of supremacy of God's glory in his own heart. Or maybe I could say it this way. God is not an idolater. He himself cannot disobey the first and greatest commandment, which is what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, I know that this might land on you odd. This may land on you in a, in a way that you're, you start to begin to think about, is this true? Brad, is what you're saying about God being utmost, uh, his utmost affections being for himself, true? But I, I just want to, we're going to build this out a little bit here in a moment, but, but I, I just, I want to say to you, I just don't know how we can understand God unless we understand this. In fact, I, I'm, I know in my own life, I cannot understand God unless I understand this about Him. See, with all of God's heart and soul and strength and mind, He finds joy in the glory of His own excellencies. He takes cosmic delight in the glory of His name and the greatness of His fame. Some of you may be familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The very first question is what? It, it says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer in the Westminster says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I don't have a problem with that. That, that is our aim. But I would like to accentuate that by saying, in the spirit of what we're talking about here, It's also helpful to say that the chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy himself forever. That's also, that's from Piper. He would would say it that way. To enjoy, the chief end of God is to enjoy, or to glorify God, excuse me, and to enjoy himself forever. Again, I don't know how this is landing on you uh, this evening, but maybe this might be helpful. One of my favorite uh, thinkers, authors, Theologians, some of you know this name, appreciate as well, C.S. Lewis. One of the things about C.S. Lewis that's interesting, uh, I forget many times when I'm reading his books, is he didn't become a Christian until his late 20s. And he writes that every time that he would read the Bible before he was a Christian or be in context where people would read the Bible, he would hear things like, like commands 
to Christians to praise the Lord. And as a non-Christian, he, he knew that what, what they were saying, God was saying, praise me, right? Praise me. And he thought it sounded like someone seeking a compliment. But, but then, in his late 20s, God's grace interrupted his life, and he wrote this. He said, that, listen to this quote, The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment. This is what he means before he became a Christian. I thought of it in terms of compliment or approval or giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows in praise. The world rings with praise. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the joy is not complete until it is expressed. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling each other how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. So let's just think about this for a moment. What do you lead with in conversations? What do you like to talk about? What do you just sort of effortlessly chat with your spouse or a friend or your children about? Those things aren't necessarily bad, but it, it just, it, whatever that is, is something that you delight in. And you want to express that delight because, as Lewis says, the joy is not complete until it is expressed. We can't help but talk about it. And that brings us to the issue at hand. What does this have to do with God seeking his own glory? Here it is. If God is to love you, what should he give you? He must give you what is best for you. The best thing in all of the universe is him. It's God. If he were to give you like the best health, the best job, the best spouse, the best life, and yet withhold himself from you, he would not be loving you. But if you put this together with what Lewis has said, you could say it this way. If God gives you himself to enjoy for all eternity, that joy will not come to fruition until you express it in praise to him. God must seek your praise if you are to be loved by him. Or said another way, for God to truly love you, he must give you what is best for you. And God is what is best for you. Lewis is showing us that unless that satisfaction that you are longing for finds its end in worship, your pleasures are restricted. So, God not wanting to restrict your fulfillment in any way, says, praise me. In everything that you do, praise me. Exalt me. Have a passion for me. Which simply means that God's passion to be glorified and your passion to rejoice and be satisfied in Him are not at war against each other. They come together in unison. We could say it this way. This is the, the one big thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. God is most glorified in you 
when you are most satisfied in him. Friends, that's what gospel centrality is. That's what it means for everything that we do here at Mercy View to be pressed through the filter of the gospel. Are you finding your satisfaction in him? Now, I know that, again, this might sound counterintuitive. Um, It did to me when I first heard it. But I am convinced that this is what has to sit underneath all that we do for the next decade here at Mercy View and beyond. It is what should be at the absolute center of our mission here at Mercy View. Without it, we are going to be aimless. We are going to be purposeless. But I know for some of you, the question that's sort of rumbling uh, inside of you is, Brad, are you saying, or you are saying that the chief end of God is to glorify God, but, but that sounds, doesn't that sound egotistical? Doesn't that sound self-serving, even unloving? I thought we were, at, we were at the center of God's loving heart. And I get that. I get that pushback. So let's talk about why we might feel that way. First, and this, I get this. I, I'm this way. We are highly skeptical of people who seem to be enamored of themselves. We, we know these people. These people are in our lives in a variety of ways. It seems like they live for the praise and compliments of other people. So look, I, I get it. It stands to reason that when you hear teaching that would seem to put God in that category, you would, your skepticism would, would, would raise. And for many, the, the teaching that God is seeking praise and wants to be lifted up and is doing things for his own namesake It seems to put God in that category. But the question that we have to ask ourselves tonight is, should it, though? One thing we can say for certain, God himself is perfect. He has no deficiencies. So God's zeal to seek his own glory and to be praised by men cannot be because he needs to shore up some weaknesses or compensate for some kind of deficiency in himself. There must be some other motive that prompts God to seek the praise of his glory. Now, there is another reason that some of us don't like maybe the idea of of those who seek their own glory. It's not that they're inauthentic. That is true for some. But it is that they're unloving. In other words, they are so concerned for their image and praise that they don't care what happens to other people in their wake. You might even like cite 1 Corinthians 13, 5, which says love seeks not its own. I, 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 it doesn't. But listen, since God is unique as the most glorious of all beings, he is totally self-sufficient. He must be for himself. If he is to be for us, he must be for himself. Or to put it another way, why, excuse me, what could God give us to take pleasure in that would show him to be most loving? There is only one possible answer. It's himself. If God would give us that which is best and most satisfying, that is, if, if he would love us perfectly, he must offer us no less than himself for our joy. 
See, God is the one being in the universe, the entire universe, for whom the pursuit of his own glory is ultimately a loving act. Let me just say that again. God is the one being in all of the universe, all of eternity, for whom the pursuit of his own glory is the ultimate loving act. For him to exalt himself is the highest virtue. When he does things for the praise of his glory, as the scriptures say, he is offering to us, listen, the only thing in the entire world which can satisfy our longings. Yes, God is for us. We can say that. Like, I have no problem saying that. God is for you. But he is for you because he is first for himself. If God's love made us central and focused on our value, I believe it will, would sidetrack us from what is most precious, and that is him, himself. If God's glorying in himself satisfies us, then God is the one being in all of the universe for whom self-exaltation is the highest form of righteousness. And friends, listen, the very essence of love. See, the reason that you and I wince at the idea that God desires to bring glory to himself, he is foremost in his own affections, is that we want him to love like we love. We want him to make others or ourselves primary. But God can't do that and still be God. He is infinitely worthy in himself. Isaiah 45, verse 21 says it this way. There is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior, there is none besides me. Friends, that is the bedrock of grace. If you try to make yourself the center of grace, it is no longer grace. So friends, our joy at Mercy View, our joy, my prayer is that our joy for the next decade here is not in God making us the center of his universe. Our joy is to be found in God being the center of the universe and drawing us up into his fellowship to see him, to know him, to adore him, to treasure him, to value him, to be happy in him. Really what we're talking about in this series as we talk about what is next is talking about what has, in a sense, has always been true here at Mercy View. To be a gospel-centered church means that the very center of our church is God. But what I want to say here is that the idea of the God-centeredness of God is just another way of saying we want to experience more and more of God at the center in all that we do, in every context here at Mercy View. Or maybe I could say it this way. We are more interested in not the benefits that come from God. And there are many. In fact, the psalmist reminds us to not forget them. But what does the psalmist say before that? He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, 
and forget not all of his benefits. We can't forget the first part of that. We just talked about that. When the psalmist says, bless the Lord, we again see God's passion to be glorified. And your passion to worship and to be joyful in him can come together. They are not at war. They can be in unison. So when we say bless the Lord before we count the benefits, we are saying that we are satisfied in God alone. And that means he is most glorified in us. And here's what is, for me, mind-blowing. If this is true, that God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him, and there's no tension between your satisfaction in Him and His glorification in you, then the vocation or the outworking of that in your life and the outworking of that here in this church is very simple. We actually have a very simple task to pursue our pleasure in Him. Not because we're going to get stuff from God, but just because of Him. Friends, that is what is next for us. That is what has been for us, and that is what is next for us. I pray that for the next decade, we would pour ourselves out in pursuing our pleasure in Him. It's where you're going to be most satisfied. It's where your longings and the things that you desire to be fulfilled in are going to find their end. So how do we do this together? I want to close with this. We have to see that God's intention in sending His Son Jesus was to do this very thing for you, for us. Ephesians 2.18 says that Jesus came so that we might have access in one spirit to the Father. 1 Peter 3, 18 says that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. God is after us to give us what is best. Again, not success in this life, but pleasure in him. And he wants to give us a full-blown vision and of that, like fellowship with Him, deep satisfaction, deep pleasure in Him. So is that what you see when you look to Jesus and see Jesus? Does your joy really come from looking at Him and does it make you feel better about yourself, that you're forgiven and redeemed? Those again are the benefits and those are precious things. Or are you drawn up out of yourself and filled with wonder and worship and praise and reverence in the death of Jesus as the clearest declaration of the infinite esteem of God for His glory and for His Son. My prayer is that we would work towards the latter in our walk with the Lord and as a church for the next decade. I pray that we would have the, the, the commitment that God has for Himself for us a single-minded commitment to uphold His own glory, to promote the praise of His holy name. Friends, the the God-centeredness of God is the foundation of His grace to us. If God were not committed first to vindicate that, the worth of His own glory, we would have no gospel. We would have no hope because there would be no glorious God. But praise be to God that he is committed to that. And for that, 
you and I have had, and my prayer is for the next 10 years, will have an immovable and unshakable hope. Let's pray together.